broadcasting from Fairfax, Virginia, you are now tuned in to the Highlight Cast with your hosts, Adam McNair and Kevin Long. All right, welcome back to the Highlight Cast. This will be episode three. Uh, Adam McNair back here again with uh, Kevin Long. Hello, how's it going, y'all? All right, so wanted to do, do a, a couple of things in uh, in this episode. Uh, first of which is to talk a little bit about uh, the end of the fiscal year and uh, what the end of the fiscal year cycle looks like for the government and uh, for contractors. Uh, but then also delve into a little bit of a a, a short series of topics. Um, we have a lot of conversations in industry and inside of the company as things change, as things evolve, as we continue to grow and hire people, what's it like in the different parts of the company to go from being a really small business to a small business to a a mid-sized business? And and really, I think the trajectory continues when you go up into the larger businesses, kind of the the mindset uh, really remains the same. But so we'll start with the the fiscal year cycle. Great. Uh, Kevin, you know, I, I have a lot of contacts with folks where there's really a lot of discussion about, well, you know, it's the end of the fiscal year. I'm sure you're busy, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. Does that happen with you, I assume? Oh, all the time. Uh, and, you know, with our, I mean, we have some contracts that provide uh, support for acquisition shops, and they, they've been up to their eyeballs getting getting them ready. And, uh, you, know, you know, it seems like for some reason everybody wants contracts to end and start on the fiscal year to to match up with the, you know, hey, we haven't spent all of our money. Here's, here's the end of end of fiscal year money that we can spend now. Yeah, it's everyone. It's like uh, Christmas for for contractors. Yeah. Now, you know, it's interesting. I think that I don't normally see that much of a dramatic push of things. I feel like we're always really, really busy, and. That's usually event-driven, and it's yeah. driven off of things like new contracts getting awarded, which are not necessarily always awarded at the end of the fiscal year, <laughs> yeah. RFPs coming out, and there's not necessarily a cycle to that. Um, does it feel specifically more busy during the end of the fiscal year cycle as opposed to any other window of time? I, I think it does because there are sm- can, there can be small bumps that then just... You, you add to everything else, right? And so if you turn the faucet on just a little bit more, that can overfill the sink. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. I, now, when you've been on site with, with a customer, embedded where you're just focused on one customer versus yep. more of a kind of a portfolio role that, you know, we're both mostly back here at, at headquarters at this point, how, how was it when you were on site? What did you see about the end of the fiscal year? It's a great question. It, Changes from customer to customer. Honestly, some of them, uh, at you know, at some agencies were really great at predicting how much money they were going to spend, uh, writ large, and so you didn't really see anything. It was just sort of spending, spending, spending. Then other times uh, it would be, you know, hey, this other office didn't spend all of their money. Uh, we've got this pet project we want to try. What can you do for? half a million dollars and you know then it's a hurry up to try to get them enough information to help them get what they need and it's always you know if they don't have the money obligated by by the end of September then it it turns into a pumpkin and it's just gone and I, I don't 
I don't know if it's just maybe I'm, I'm incorrect in the thinking, but it, it always seemed to me that it was more about ODC purchases. I'm used to seeing other direct costs. All of a sudden, you get a note that there's some number of thousands of dollars of equipment that... And I think, like you say, oftentimes it's we're not sure if we need that money for something else. If we get to the end of the year and we can refresh this certain amount of network hardware or we can go ahead and renew some licenses or add licenses for some application, then that kind of breaks free. Certainly easier to just purchase something hardware-based than services-based. But, you know, most of the work that I've been involved with has been services, and so... Uh, I haven't done a lot of ODC purchases, but boy, it would sure be nice to be able to say, hey, you know, you want want 27 extra laptops, <laughs> we can sell them to you, fine. But it's, because uh, <clears throat> that's essentially fungible in between, you know, from one thing to, to another. Um, but it's, a, it's really great when you have a creative and plugged in core or COTAR that has has plans that they want to be able to do and haven't necessarily had the budget to do it. And when the call goes around, I mean, anyone can say, you know, yes, I need new servers, fine. I need new monitors, buy me new mice. But to be able to pull out a plan and say, hey, I've got this pilot program I want to try, we can do that. And, you know, if you've got the right color of money, I've got something to do with it. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good point also is is it's always better to have a long-term roadmap or a long-term plan, even if your contract doesn't require it. I mean, I feel yeah. like that's kind of incumbent on us that if you're going to be seen as any kind of a technical consultant or advisor on, on a federal program, knowing what you would recommend in some likely scenarios, and in an yeah. event like that, okay, we, we know that there's there's... ODC and supply money on this contract, a year out, we may not know exactly what the best expenditure would be, but here are probably the most probable things that that I would recommend and have three or four different scenarios so that when you do get to the end of the year, you know, things do happen. Sometimes people will have decided we're going to decommission that application. We had money earmarked kind of for modernization of that hardware. And it can be a month-by-month decision as to whether or not you're going to keep that online longer. It might sync up with some other contract. The modernization effort of it, it might have to wait until the new system is ready. So having some of those recommendations of here's probably five different ways to utilize that money depending on your priorities yeah. Kind of that you know, when you you need the plan before you need it, and if you can be working on it on a regular basis, um, is that is that the, are those the kinds of things? I mean, I know you've done a lot of CIO level, CTO level programs. Were those kinds of the, some of the things that you? Yeah, it's it's really it, it's key because to to know where you want the the customer to go and to work with them to understand what they want to be, where they want to be in the next six months, eight months two years. I mean, that, that'll be critical when you're on a recompete or when they say, I've got a quarter million dollars that if I can come up with the best proposal for, for its use, I can spend it. And so it is uh, absolutely. And if if you're working at a, at a government contract on site and there aren't needs, <laughs> 
and they don't have additional problems, they, they, they're fully staffed, funded, and able to do everything that they need, let me know. I, I want that contract. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's one of the things that, that I think, you know, is one of the topics we could probably talk about it one of these days, but is it's... It's much, much easier and honestly mostly very rare to be on any kind of a program where you have all the time you need, all the resources you need, and all of the supplies and licensing that you need to accomplish something. I think the art of this business comes in when one of those gets compressed dramatically and you have to figure out what to do. Yeah, good, um, good, fast, cheap. Pick yeah, two. pick two. Um, so one of the areas I think maybe we could delve into a little bit about the, the, the fiscal year cycle, though, is I feel like there are surges of activity around kind of a whole lot of different timelines over the course of the year, the, the fiscal year being one of them, but also the your holiday seasons or around Thanksgiving, yep. around Christmas. <laughs> and I think it's just human nature. I've always yep. assumed it's because somebody is going to go on vacation. They want to get their major action items done and cleared off their desk before they leave so they don't have to be there at Thanksgiving thinking about pushing out an RFP or, or whatever, pushing out a contract mod when they get back. Yeah. And so that's what they end up, up doing, and then we end up being oftentimes on the receiving end of that. Yeah, well, that's much nicer than the alternative possibility which is you know uh we're putting it out over holiday so only people that really want it are going to work on it yeah there, there's always that conspiracy <laughs> side from the uh at least on the industry uh you know end of the end of the business that you i wonder if they just wanted us to, to see who really cared enough to give up thanksgiving and christmas to, to write this proposal right. um but i've always kind of chalked it up a little bit more to hopefully the I'm going to go on vacation. I, I said I was going to get this done before I left for vacation. It's the optimist in you. It, right. Um, so I think there's certainly that that peak of activity around yeah. some of the holidays. Definitely. I think there's certainly some around the end of the fiscal year. Um, are there any customers that you've supported that had some other significant surges in activity that were things that had to be incorporated and kind of worked around? Sure. Uh, uh, Department of State Human Resources transfer season. <laughs> it right. is uh, that that is all, always a crazy time uh, uh, for good or for ill. Uh, all of the foreign services or the vast majority of the foreign service agents, officers uh, in uh, at the State Department, all transfer to new posts within about a three month period, and that's that's a lot of work for folks that run HR systems. It's a lot of work for folks that do the IT transfers of, of accounts. It's a lot of people that do the IT for the logistics and housing. It's, yeah, transfer season is no joke. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and I've, I've certainly, I've, I've been involved in that a little bit as well. Um, other ones that come to mind, census with their decennial oh, wow, census. Yeah. Now, they certainly, they do a lot more census activities than just the decennial yeah so they really do census activities every year but the decennial being the big one um that's kind of the slowest build up and then the longest peak uh also when you get into fema and hurricane season um i learned that very very early on was if you wanted to do a system modernization don't do it in october no you don't do it when there could be a hurricane yep um 
you know, one of the people that I used to work with, they, uh, during the hurricane season, they were there at FEMA, and they had to figure out a way to enable purchase cards to be used by um, hurricane people that had been impacted by the hurricane because they were promised by the president as he was there speaking to people that had been wow. impacted by the hurricane. And FEMA, you know, said, okay, well, this, we have to figure out how to do this. They need to have capacity to be able to do those kinds of things to address disasters and their real mission. They don't want you upgrading the timesheet system sure. during during hurricanes. Yeah, small business administration with their disaster loans, same same type of thing. You know where there's uh, where you know you have disasters or fire season out west, things like that. It's it is predictable but unpredictable. Yeah, and I think maybe as the ex the experience from uh, from the industry side that might be a little bit different than from the government side is if you're here on the industry side very often you are supporting multiple agencies so the operational cadence and tempo of, of several different agencies impact your schedule so if you are working only at Department of Agriculture and one of the organizations their calendar and their tempo impact you when you're supporting 14, 15, 20 different agencies there's always something happening and if yep. um, and that's kind of been my experience for the last very very long time is that I haven't been so focused on just one customer that if there was a budget change that money's still going someplace and it's probably going to one of my other customers and so we might be slowing down procurements and slowing down development initiatives and things for one customer but then in another one it, it ramps up and so I I kind of feel like you can't really plan or schedule around much no fiscal it's, year anything else yeah it's well you can y you plan on it but it always I don't know it seems like you, you'll always end up being busy if you're doing it right yeah and also I think there's a um, the mindset that we've we've taken is people need to plan vacations there are just things you have to do you go ahead and plan and you you accommodate it as best you can and um, you can't sit around and wait forever for okay we're waiting to start the modernization on project X we're gonna wait until it starts or we're waiting for an RFP to be released or any of those kinds of things because it, it it just ends up it, you could, the only way that I think you can you can really bet on is that the date you thought something was going to happen, that's the date it's not going to happen. It's going to happen some other day than that. It's just going to be earlier or later. Yep, absolutely. It, yeah, it's uh, easier when you're supporting less customers, but when, you have, when you've got a, a wide swath, you just got to do what you got to do. It'll always be busy. Yeah. <clears throat> well, so just onto the um, the other thing I thought we would we would talk about, you know, the... The different phases of a, of a business, and I think it translates pretty well to probably any office. I think if a government agency was scaling up their operations to go from you know, 50 to 100 people or, or 200 people or they were merging two organizations, I think a lot of the, the fundamental parts of, of, of scaling and developing the, the business and the team are, are pretty similar. But what we look at is you're trying to spend money and invest in talent and have the right people 
to run the company, essentially. We have sure. to do the things we have to do so we can deliver projects for the government. So we have to be able to recruit. We have to be able to run our own IT. We have to be able to take contract actions. But yet we don't want to have so many people that they either have nothing to do or we are overspending the, the operating yeah. dollars that we have before we actually need the people. Um, Lean but not starving. Yeah, and the idea of just-in-time staffing, you hear people talk about that, but it, it doesn't it, it doesn't really work from a, okay, they'll show up when I need somebody to do that thing, because I, I think especially in this business... They're not going to know what you need. They're not going to show up ready to participate. Right, and no. then this isn't... When, we're not making... You know, a widget. We can't just say, hey, look, here's the defined process for widget making. Show up, and we just need to add a fourth person to the assembly line. Yep. The, the balancing and shaping of, of different parts of the business as you go from generally what I see is one multi hatted person. You, you see a business size where you have somebody that says, I, I handle HR recruiting, I'm the facility security officer, and I do our IT. And on the face of it, you look at it, you say, none of those duties really necessarily go together. But when you look at the workload, okay, well, there's only enough, so this person's doing all of that. And then eventually you get to the point where you have one person for each of those, and then at some point they become departments. Sure. Um, now, you've worked startups and large businesses. Yeah. Um, what's been kind of your vantage point of kind of the startup business to see kind of how that operated versus going sure. into a larger company. The startups uh, I've worked with are, it was actually really great because you, when you get to wear a bunch of hats, I mean, everyone wears a lot of hats, um, you get to learn a lot. Uh, you also get to, it's easier because you know you have like one of three people to walk up to and ask for help. If it's if you need help with a contract, if you need help with hiring, if you need help with the password reset, great. <laughs> Go talk to Bob. Um, but uh, also, when you do when you do it right, you know, eventually, you know, Bob starts getting you know bags under his eyes <laughs> and starts getting snappish and is you know it's obviously grows grows it grows beyond the capacity of a single person. Uh, and similarly, you know, you know, if you're a project manager, business development, uh, capture lead, and and uh, uh, you know, chief bottle wash for a program, you know, eventually that's going to get to be too much too. And so, uh, it's really interesting seeing how companies decide to break up what's important to them and hire a new a new person because you're not going to suddenly go from one person that is contracts, IT, security, and HR, and recruiting, and have five new people, right? right. You, you'll, you'll end up seeing, okay, well, HR and recruiting makes sense. Maybe uh, maybe payroll and finance makes sense. Maybe uh, security and uh, contracts make sense. And so you get one or two extra people to help it out. Um, and so it's great being able to be to watch how those decisions are made and decide how companies want to grow and put their money where they see what's important, um, and it's it's it, yeah, it's just it, it's fascinating watching it grow. It's like you know watching a kid grow up, really. Yeah, and I I think that's 
that's also it's interesting to see as organizations once they have been the same size for for quite a while or they have gotten rather large trying to figure out if that is still the same makeup and organization that you need I mean there's all these there's always been jokes about everybody reorganizes all the time but really businesses do change and people change and I think one of the one of the things that is especially important is like you, you know, what you said about, okay, well, so-and-so looked really stressed now, we should probably get somebody else. Trying to be ahead of that yeah. so that everybody is not so completely worn out because realistically, when you hire somebody to help that person, you've actually added more work to them. Yeah. So they go from being 110% busy to 140% busy because now they're trying to teach somebody who doesn't know exactly what they do. Right parts of it so that they don't have to do it anymore. Yeah, or you've overspent hiring someone who has got, you know, a dozen years of experience doing it, but they do it their way and don't necessarily understand everything else on it. Yeah, which is a fundamental thing that generally in my experience when you say when you go to somebody and you say, "Okay, it seems like you based on work volume probably need some help. Can we get somebody to come in here?" they almost always, without fail, say, I need somebody with a lot of experience to come in and help me. Right. And Not what true. it oftentimes comes down to is if, if you had enough time to slow down and look at the things that you are, are needing to do and get done in your group, which it might be evolving to be a group, the senior level work you could actually do yourself. It's the transactional nature of whatever it is that you're doing that is a time suck that's taking up all of your time and the person it takes to do that probably doesn't have a lot of experience the other thing is if they had a whole lot of experience they would probably be just as tired of doing whatever that was as you are yep yeah the ability to get someone to say hey you know verify that resumes meet labor cats uh uh make sure that the job postings are are up take a look at um uh uh are all the computers up to up to the current patch level? I mean, those are things that you don't need crazy experienced people to do. You need smart people that want to learn and work hard. Yeah, and it will be interesting for them as long as they're learning. And then once they feel like they've gotten perfected, if you're hiring the right people, they then want to do something else. And so that's where the growth has to continue so you have something for them to do. But if you're selling brains, then then what you've got is another interested and useful brain to sell. Absolutely. Uh, so I just wanted to, to talk a little bit about some of the different um, the different areas, the different support functions of of a company, and just some thoughts about scaling those in particular. And we'll do some of these, and we'll do a few of them in the next episode. Recruiting, what I end up seeing is you go from the single person model, where you have one person that does recruiting. Eventually, you say, okay, I think I need two people. Yep. After you hit about two people, it starts to become a real department where you can break the workflow down. You can actually have a couple of people that are the points of contact that are interfacing with candidates, and then you have people that are behind them that are just sourcing candidates and sourcing resumes because yep. it takes more experience and, and a little bit uh, more outward-facing personality type to be on the phone all the time with people from a recruiting yeah. standpoint you find many more people that are comfortable doing sourcing and resume searching and handing them off to somebody yep. that, that does the searching. The other thing that I, I see is that you go from usually having a spreadsheet 
to having a real actual recruiting system. Um, you're a hiring manager. You have a bunch of people that work for you. Yep. What's your level of interaction with the actual recruiting system? Is it a thing that you go into very often, or are you just kind of interviewing people? I will go into it on occasion. Like, honestly, if I've got something really hot and my recruiters are busy doing other things I've asked them to do, I'll jump in the system and I'll search for it. Or if I know we've been looking for hiring uh, a particular job and I know we interviewed someone similarly for a different job, but they didn't fit that one and they would fit something else. If I can short circuit a process like that and save time, I'll go in there. But bluntly, most of it's interviewing and and being on the phone with the recruiting team and making sure they're pointed in the right direction. Well, the, the things I've seen in recruiting systems your very baseline systems, yep. when you get ready to go do your analysis, they're a glorified spreadsheet. They Re really all they, they are is a, is a slightly more visually appealing version of a spreadsheet that says what jobs you have open and what characteristics of the person you're looking to hire. The next level of system up from that, which really is, those are probably the ones you'd really consider kind of an, of a a real true business class for a services business yep. type of, of recruiting. They do a lot. They do tracking much more robustly. They allow you to more granularly look at your information so you can really decide who's supposed to work for whom and, and those kinds of things. They also introduce OFCCP compliance, which is the there's a lot of different things that are com HR compliance in, in, in recruiting, but one of the things when you hit a certain size as a company that you have to be able to do is to be able to demonstrate not just who you hired, but why you didn't hire the people that you didn't hire. And if that capability does not exist in your recruiting system, then you, you say, oh, well, I'm sure we can keep that in a spreadsheet someplace. <laughs> that will be fine. And then what you find out, at whatever point you find it out is that nobody did and you just could nobody remember to do it yep. and it wasn't at the top of their head and it was too slow and they didn't they didn't do it yep. and then you have an issue either a compliance issue where you have to tackle this giant data exercise where you go through every rec that you've had open and and every email to every pm after every phone screen and interview to see why you liked them why you didn't like them and why different people got booted Right, and then the the third level of application, um, which really is, I, I think, there are economical options for businesses like us and people that are in the industry that they actually help you a little bit. Not it's not just tracking and compliance, but they do things like they allow you to automatically synchronize your jobs with external posting boards. So if you have a subscription to Indeed or Monster or wherever else. There are some places that you, if you don't have that system, you have one person that all they do is post and unpost jobs on external job boards. Yep. The application can do that for you. Yep. Can attach specific uh, job-related technical interview uh, scripts to, to run on it. Can add functionality like allowing people to apply with their LinkedIn profile or with a resume saved in their Google Drive things like that you might say okay well that really doesn't sound like it's all that valuable 
people don't want to go through the effort of typing a whole bunch of stuff in. And they might be viable for that job, but they just end up saying, I'll do that later. And then later never happens and they never end up applying. So if there's an easy button that they can hit that takes some of their information and gets it to you, th that can really help the process. The other thing that some of those, those systems can do is they will help you track people that have applied before right. and suggest resumes that appear to meet future requirements and the ability to save templates and work collaboratively on job recs. All of them at this point are basically all cloud-based. They're all software as a service. Um, there are a lot of options. The, the thing that I think can help if you're going to select one Demos are great. Asking them to let you have a live demo for a month or so so yep. you can really see if it works is good. But also the understanding of what the licensing model is going to be. They, they vary widely from, hey, yeah, if you need this thing and you have uh, this size business, it's $3,000 a year, as opposed to it's $500 for everybody that needs an account. The big place that that can spike, because some of those, that, that's their model, every hiring manager that needs to go into approve a rack. Yeah. And so paying attention wow. to that workflow, that's where they can get you, where after you decided you want to do it, and you're like, okay, well, I want to get my hiring managers need to approve these jobs. It's like, okay, yeah, you just need another 40 accounts. <laughs> oh, not ideal. <coughs> um, wow. But so that's, that's recruiting. And then the... The important thing, I think, from, from recruiting to watch the scalability of it is really just your, your job rec trajectory. Yep. How many jobs are getting open and how many are getting closed. That shouldn't be your metric for the productivity of your recruiters because it doesn't indicate how hard those jobs are. Yeah. If you're going to develop a bonus plan, if you're going to uh, talk about performance standards or reviews for people in your recruiting department, a TSSCI cleared person who is slightly below market rate working on a job site with no windows and no mass transportation and no parking. And customer approval of resumes. And customer approval of resumes versus no Jan clearance. Janitor number two. Yeah, slightly above, uh, above um, you know, market pay grade. You've got... Yeah. Free parking outside. There's a bocce court out back. Um, I was down by the, the GSA building the other day, and in between GSA and FAA, they had a band playing at lunchtime. There's food trucks parked everywhere. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, or USDA. They've got a great farmer's market. Yeah, I mean, it's... Right. Yeah. It, much different to, to hire one of those than the others. And you don't want to incentivize only hiring the easy positions. Right, and, and that really is how a lot of times the bonus plans work against a recruiting organization is that it's get a job filled. Yep. Okay, well I'm going to fill all of the help desk one positions that are, it's still, I mean, it's, it's still an art to find the right person, yep. but there are more people that just from a, a, a shared data standpoint, there are way more people that fit that profile Yep. than people who are Microsoft database certified with a TSSCI clearance and ITIL Foundation and CISSP. Yep. I mean, it's just harder. And so 
if you focus just on the velocity of the job wrecks, basically says, I'm able to stay at parity with as jobs get opened, jobs get closed. And you're making sure to also track how many jobs do you have that are open past 30 days. Yeah. Because that really just says, I'm not getting them filled. So if you're opening as many as you're closing and you know how many you have that are taking you more than a month to fill, you can tell how your um, how your recruiting capacity is going, and you have to watch that because when people get super busy, they're not going to come to you and say, I think we need an extra recruiter, but also, like we were talking about before, yeah. if they wait to that point, now to it. They're, they're, they're at peak activity, and <clears throat> now you want them to open a rec to find a recruiter. Yeah. And it's <laughs> yeah. insult injury. Yeah, just putting more work on them. Um, yep. The other one that I, I think is interesting for a business of our size, and you know we're in the you know couple hundred employee range, yep. is the IT organization. I have had before physical servers and been res- responsible for trying to own all of that infrastructure. I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. No. No, the cloud is lovely. <laughs> it, 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 I'm sure there's probably reasons or there are use cases for why you might have to have physical servers. I'd rather not do whatever that is that right. requires you to have all those right. things. It is not 2002 anymore. No. And, you know, what I, what I, the kind of, the corollary I've always drawn is I don't want to run my own power company. If I want the lights nice. to work, I don't want to actually have a power plant that's not the business I'm in. Yep. I kind of feel that's where we've gotten to with data center. It, it is available everywhere. Yep. All of our software that we, what we use really is available in a cloud-based software-as-a-service version. And you just pay by the month. You pay for what you use, and what you don't want, you don't pay for, and you turn back off. Yeah, I, I don't want to pay for a SAN engineer back here to run, you know, a, a RAID array for, for network-attached storage when, when I can say, hey, Microsoft, hey, Google, I would like hard drive space. Yeah, and to that point, you know, most of what we end up doing is would be account management for when somebody gets onboarded or offboarded, they need an email account, they need an Active Directory account, uh, which triggers their Office 365 subscription. Yep. And then they need their laptop to work. Yep. And occasionally somebody drops it down an elevator shaft, uh, the, <laughs> the battery dies, something happens, and you need to swap it out. Now, that's most of it, so that should be 90 to 95% of our IT staffing. Yeah. Your SAN engineer handling the RAID array, I mean, what is that going to be? An hour, a month probably? But now you have to have this person on staff, which means you're going to have them do laptop swaps, I guess? You're going to have them be really bored and quite expensive. Yeah, so you're either going to have really expensive, really bored, spending most of their time doing things that they don't want to do, or you're going to have people who are probably terrified that they're going to have to go in and work on production gear yeah. that they've probably never done before. Uh, yeah, it's, it, is, it is too easy and too cheap 
now to just get so much of what you need on on the cloud for for a business this size if you're not doing you know harken back to a previous episode if you're not holding classified information then seriously uh hard drives are cheap and they're cheaper as you buy as you go yeah the everything the architecture we've gone to everything we have is cloud-based at this point our Microsoft products all operate out of the cloud. Our antivirus are all software as a service. Our device management is all done software as a service. Yeah. We, we don't have any servers and we don't want any. No. And our IT meetings, which go pretty much the same every month, the capacity conversation is just about who's going to call up or lo- log into the Microsoft site and turn on more licenses. We don't have to buy extra hardware. The only hardware we buy are laptops. Yep. And that's really just on its standard refresh cycle. And you have to add some as you grow. But everything that we do is cloud-related. And that also means that our infrastructure here inside of the headquarters office is somewhat irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, we've got the router that hooks us up to the uh, uh, up to the internet, and then the, the rest of the magic comes in from from outdoors. Yeah, yeah, the the process of doing some sort of a coop plan. You say, okay, I I know that I have some contractual requirements that I have to be able to fulfill. Mm-hmm. We have response times with customers where we are beholden to make sure that we can be available within a certain number of hours. Yep from our headquarters management team if, if they needed something. We can go anywhere else but our headquarters and work from there. Yeah. Uh, literally every everything that we that we connect to is in the cloud so it can be connected to from home Wi-Fi, from whatever area, some what whatever coffee shop had connectivity. Yeah, from your cell phone hotspot, whatever. And we have, we have VPNs set up to the things that we feel that we need to have added security and dual-factor authentication. All of the laptops have all kinds of encryption, both software and hardware encryption on them. So yep. it, there really is no, no need to sit here in the headquarters other than just the space logistics of being able to interact you know, eye-to-eye with people. But going full cloud means that you can do that, and it also means that your IT team is really just a tier one, tier two organization at that point. Anything that is too hard, you're calling whatever vendor specializes in that. Yeah. Yeah, and they're not not having to develop disaster recovery plans. They're not having to develop crazy coop plans. They're not having to develop uh, 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 server backup uh, models or anything like that. It's just, you know, if if it goes... If it goes down, all right. Is is it the internet or is it my or is it my device? Those are the questions. Yeah, the, the that whole process of getting a phone call in the middle of the night that the data center went offline, which means that nobody can get email, is a big problem. And it would be for us as well because we have yeah. project sites all the way from DC to Hawaii, and. We have staff that deploy globally at times, so they need to have access to their email. If the data center goes offline, if the generator doesn't kick in, I mean, those are all the kinds of things that you really have to, you have to have a duty phone, somebody has to be available 24 hours a day. I I can't tell you how many times I've had (laughs) phone calls that 
Something broke at the data center, and now we don't even know how bad it is because somebody was driving from their house to the data center and wherever in Maryland. We don't have to do any of that. There, there are times where there's occasionally a degradation of service from one of the cloud providers, which it's never off because you know Microsoft doesn't go offline. Yep. Th there may be some sort of an issue, and they they send you an email and they tell you that there's some issue and they're working on it, and then you get an email when it has gone when back, back. To, to full speed. And the impact to us is usually it seems like it took a little bit longer for email to come in than it normally does. But but nothing too significant on top of that. Yeah, it's it's so, so much easier than than it was at the first startup I worked at, where we would literally run uh, server crash drills. You know, I mean, we it was a software as a service company before anyone called it software as a service. But yeah, I mean, we had you know we were in, in Arlington on Kent Street with a, a server room right there, and so. I mean, literally with a pre-class in case of emergency instruction set in the server room. And it was, you know, every now and then the, the COO would, would go in and, like, unplug a few things to make sure that it would work or that we could cope. That, that's always a good practice, I hear, just go in and unplug things, right? Well, he, he would let the customers know, just not us. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and honestly, so we, we today, uh, earlier today, had our tabletop exercise for the COOP activity for our headquarters IT. At least once a quarter, we sit down and talk through the current architecture, the COOP plan that we have, and see if there's anything different. And just verify, okay, here are the things that we would do. Is there anything different? And, I mean, it's so simplistic. It really is. We send an alert out to all of the headquarters employees to tell them that the work site has been shifted to their telework location. An alert out to employees that if they needed something physically from headquarters, that the office is, is closed and people are teleworking. And then our IT manager changes the routing on the cloud-based phone system to go to the contingency mode basically kind of takes a message and forwards that message to the person's email and that's it and so we revisit that quarterly just to see if anything has changed in the architecture to make sure that that would still work but that's what we do yeah and so there is no detailed we have to go spin up some server and see if something comes back online i mean that's that's all we have to do is is set the phone to voicemail mode that's in cloud, and <laughs> yeah. then we're, we're set. Yeah, it's great. The only other thing I was going to mention about IT is that the other thing that it really helps you do when you are not doing sysadmin on your own devices is it's always been very, very hard to tackle projects when you are doing ongoing O&M of systems. And when you do everything in the cloud, so all the daily systems administration work, for the most part, you know, platform down, is being done by a third party, you actually have time to tackle things like migrating multiple Microsoft instances into one instance or evaluating a new antivirus application. Those things that are projects, with a much smaller team, you're able to assess them. Yeah. It's also easier because when you get ready to roll it out, you're not trying to install it on a server. You're just turning on a new service and, and linking to it from an IP standpoint, and then all of a sudden it works. 
usually. <laughs> a knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that was those are a couple of the areas. Uh, there are certainly others that I think uh, would be would be worth chatting about a little bit. There are you know, HR and contracts and proposals and facilities, and then um, honestly, probably the most complex of all of them is how do you actually do service delivery as you grow the operational piece. And so then we'll we'll get to all of those on a uh, on a future episode. And um, Thank you for uh, for tuning in to uh, to this episode, and hope that uh, this series about scaling a business is something that is interesting to people and uh, answers some of the questions that we've received from uh, from staff. Outstanding. Right. Thank you, guys. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect Highlight Technologies and/or any agency of the U.S. government.